Welcome to Homer Collective. I'm Pat Ward. And I'm Taryn Mao. And today we're going to talk about how to have an affair. It's an odd title, right? Even if you've uh, been listening for a while, it seems kind of odd that we would teach people how to do that. But here's the reason why. No one on their wedding day is thinking about adultery. In fact, that's the furthest thing on their mind at the starting line. And yet it happens. And it happens often. Way too often. In our work with couples who are recovering from an affair, we actually find a lot of confusion, right? Like, how did this happen? How did we get to this place? How could I have hurt someone so much that I love? I mean, what happened here? So a lot of confusion. So today we're going to teach you how to have an affair or at least four steps to make it easier. And obviously we are not hoping to inspire more affairs. That's the last thing that we want to do. Uh, our goal is actually to have less and less of them in our marriages and in our world. And we hope that by bringing some clarity about some of the small steps that it takes to get someone to doing the unthinkable, that we can hopefully prevent it going forward. So let's get started. Let's start out with a definition of affair, because uh, a lot of people don't always have the same definition. The way that we define it is to say that it's where one person in a relationship goes to someone else to have one of their needs met. So this may be a physical need. This may be an emotional need. This may be something that happens briefly one time that some uh, consider an affair. This may be something that happens over a long period of time through several seasons. But when someone in a committed relationship in a marriage goes out and gets one of their needs met by someone else, oftentimes that's what registers as an affair in someone's mind. So as before we talk about uh, how to have an affair. I want to make sure that you know that I'm. we are not teaching how to hide an affair. That, unfortunately, is the devastating blow that often crushes the other spouse. And it's so painful um, to see that because we see that when people have an affair and they feel like they've been lied to by someone that they trust so deeply, that not only is it painful, but it can be traumatic um, and it can lead them, leave them without very many tools in their toolbox left to rebuild with because trust has been broken, trust has been taken, and it's, and it's been erased. And so, no, we're not going to teach you how to hide an affair, just how to have one or to get to the point where considering one opens, up, open, opens us up to the unthinkable in our marriage with the hopes that we can avoid it. So by the time a relationship crosses this line to something defined as an affair, those involved are usually kind of drunk off of it, like disconnected with their feelings, their decisions, sometimes even their reality. Um, it's actually been proven. And so sometimes I use this analogy of it's like that person is living on planet Pluto. They're disconnected. It's actually a, a term that I borrowed from a, an old therapist colleague of mine. Like it's they're not in reality. They're not living on planet Earth. And so I think sometimes for the person who has been betrayed or cheated on, they're like, how could they do this? They said they love this person. None of this makes sense to me, right? Well, we say all kinds of things when we're on planet Pluto, disconnected from our lives and reality and consequences. Um, it's, it's really that kind of intoxicating feeling of like, I can go escape. And yeah. it can be helpful to know that that's just not what real intimate relationships look like. That's not real life. And so um, it can be really helpful to understand that. Yep. And that, that's why it's the, the intoxicating effect. That's why affairs are a lot easier to prevent than they are to cure, because it is really hard to send enough messages all the way out to Pluto. So the person who's out there 
can hear it and kind of come back to their senses, come back to their sense of values before there's been a lot of damage that's been done. And so um, today we're going to be talking about affairs specifically. This actually, a lot of the stuff we talk about today is going to apply to a lot of things in our lives because affairs are not just the only thing that we find ourselves sometimes tangled up in. Uh, that we never thought that we would get tangled up in. And so even if you're listening today and you're not married or infidelity is not something that you've dealt with, there may be some other areas of application as well. So the first thing, if you want to be closer to having an affair than you were yesterday, is to cultivate contempt. Cultivate contempt. We grow whatever we water and give sunlight to in our marriages. And there are a million moments of togetherness. All that exposure to each other means that there are a lot of opportunities every day to focus in on things that our partner gets wrong. And unfortunately, when we do that more often than we try to focus on reality or we try to focus on gratitude, uh, we get contempt that begins to grow. And contempt, the more that we water it, the more that we focus on it, the more that we don't open up to trust people about it or open up to our partner about it, the more that contempt can be cultivated and bitterness can grow and grow. Bitterness doesn't just grow in obvious ways like tension in marriage or harsh words, but bitterness grows like a root. It pushes beneath the surface sometimes. It leaves needs unmet. It leaves us doing some funky algebra in our mind like, well, I know that this isn't right, but this, 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 and this mean that it probably is right in the season or it's somehow right for me. We cultivate contempt and it sometimes sneaks up on us underneath the surface. Um, if you've ever owned a house in the woods, you know how destructive roots can be if they get into the foundation of a house or if they get into the septic tank. I mean, it can be a real mess. And if contempt or bitterness um, grows in our lives, then it can create a real mess underneath the surface too. Yeah, you can actually tell if you're beginning to cultivate contempt by looking at your narratives, the story you tell yourself, and your absolutes. So maybe one thing you're saying is he or she is only happy when they get their way, right? Or all they ever do is complain. That's the story you tell yourself. That's an absolute. It's all or nothing. Um, they're just, you know, a, a parent or they're just like their parent. They, the things that they tell themselves about their partner, they has huge impacts on the way that they see themselves and interact so it, it's just really important like to stop interacting in that way, right? And just interact with the file we have built about them after a while. Yeah. Contempt can make a marriage brittle. And oftentimes in the aftermath of an affair, we realize that it began very small. It began with things that were annoying, but just got focused on, watered and fed until they were something so big that people began to be disconnected from each other or one spouse gets dis disconnected from another. So be careful. Watch what you cultivate and especially watch out for content. One of the other helpful tips for how to have an affair is to love without limits. And it's it seems ironic, right? Because what we really want is to love with a full heart. We want to love and live fully. We want to eat, pray, love around the world. But really, to cultivate the deepest, fullest sense of intimacy, we need to have limits. We enter into vows saying that in the security of this relationship, we can create something that we can't find anywhere else in the world. And so that means that we say yes to each other. That means we say yes to, to um, ordering our lives around building that intimacy. But that means that we, we have to be very aware of and say no to the things that would come and um, create issues with that union or create a threat to our sense of connection. Um, we, when we see ourselves veering towards relationships that are not good for us, we need to stop 
And um, that's not the only limit. That's the that's the first baseline limit for preventing an affair. But there are other um, limits that we need to set up as well. I, I cringe whenever I hear people talk about, well, this is my work wife or this is my work husband, because a lot of times those are the relationships that they get so close to an emotional line that it's easy for people, even if they're on the and the outset not attracted to each other, it's easy to build a sense of connection that gives way to attraction and and, and builds way to a slippery slope through that. Um, they're they're living so close to the line that it's really easy to slip and to fall over. Sometimes people have uh, a limitless relationship with technology, um, with their connectivity there, or with um, images and videos and pornography on there. Or sometimes people have an unlimited, you know, relationship um, with with secrecy. And even if there's a lot of secrets that they just like because they like having privacy, it's easy to step across the line into some kind of things that live underneath the surface that are actually uh, having an adverse effect on us and, and impacting us in some ways. So um, it's important for us to have, um, you know, a, a large love and to really embrace life, but it's really important for us to have healthy, good limits and boundaries uh, along there, along as well. Part of the the limit might be asking your partner or your spouse what they're comfortable with, yeah, what they're good with. So if you have maybe a friend um, that you confide in and you confide in often, and maybe that's a friendship that's someone of the opposite uh, gender, you know, talking to your partner or spouse about whether or not they're comfortable with that relationship. I think those are important questions we have to ask. Is this something that you, that you feel comfortable with? Because maybe I feel like it's just a friendship, right? Yep. And somewhere along the way, if I'm not being open about that, and there's no limit there, I could easily cross that line like you yeah. were referring to. And hopefully in our relationship, we are close enough in our marriage. We're close enough that my partner can see my blind spot. And so my spouse can, can see something that maybe I don't see because I'm too close to it. And so, right. yeah, I need, to, I need to be listening. I need to be heeding that, that insight or that other person's intentions, right? right? So, I mean, if I'm the person confiding in a friend, I might not see that their intention is to maybe start something more with me, right? Yep. And I'm kind of naively checking along, but my partner or my spouse can see that. Yep. So the third way to have an affair is to embrace your exceptionalism. So I get myself in trouble any time that I think of myself as the exception, right? I'm not really anything special. This is the line of thinking that most people use to get themselves closer and closer to the unthinkable act of having an affair. So don't think you are exceptionally strong, that you can go somewhere in your mind and not be in danger of going somewhere in your life as well. That's just way mm -hmm. too tempting, right? You're human. This is just a really good, broad question to ask yourself. So is there any area in my life that I'm simply depending on my exceptionalism to keep me safe? Like, well, I wouldn't do that. I would never do that. Like I'm, I'm too good for that. And then cultivate an intimate relationship. Am I cultivating an intimate relationship outside of my marriage? Like that's a question, right? What right. is that intimate relationship? Am I confiding in someone else more than I'm confiding in, in my, um, my partner or my spouse? Am I pursuing pornography in ways that I think are benign? Like there's no way that this is affecting my relationship negatively, right? I can just separately partake in pursuing pornography and it's not go going to affect my relationship or my partner at all, right? Yeah. Or excusing an alcohol issue. Like 
well, doesn't as long as it doesn't cost me this, my job, as long as I can keep working and providing for my family, I'm good to go, right? That's not affecting us. And then living without wisdom or accountability. Um, I mean, yeah, living without accountability. Like there's nobody that I have to hold myself accountable to. And sometimes those are those are decisions. Some of them have to do with our marriage and some of them have nothing to do with it. But they all have to do with having an exceptionalist mindset. And more often than not, that's going to get us in trouble. The fourth tip for how to have an affair is actually connected to that as well. And this one is that we we get closer to that when we try to outsmart wisdom. So people who live by wisdom, and that is seeking objectively healthy things for their lives as a priority and prioritizing for objectively healthy things. People who live by that want their entire lives to be marked by that Uh, because wisdom is also a spiritual construct. Let me put it like this. People who love wisdom want their whole lives to be in the light. They want it to hit them directly, even if they always like if they, they don't always like what they see. Foolish people, if you read the Bible, fools, they, they, they love for there to be some sense of a shadow. Even if there's something that's bad for them, it belongs to them and they deserve to hold on to it. They deserve to, to have it and to keep it and to foster it. And so, unfortunately, it's in those shadows that things grow that often um, surprise us by how much they take us away from the things that we have said are of utmost important in our, importance in our lives. Uh, we've hit on this a couple of times, but this is one of the reasons why it's really helpful for us to have other people who have, who have access to our lives, who see what's going on with us and who could speak wisdom into our lives. Hopefully you're in a marriage where that can happen. But if you're in a season where there's disconnection or there's communication is off, sometimes we need other people. We need to, we need to be drawing close to other people who can help us walk the path of wisdom. I tell people all the time, healthy marriages really need healthy friendships in order to exist. I mean, we need people on the outside who can listen to us, people on the outside who can um, uh, encourage us if we're in a challenging time, but also people on the outside who can push us back towards our marriage and more importantly, back towards wisdom. Um, Healthy marriages don't exist in a vacuum. They exist because they're connected to other healthy things and they draw health up into their union. And so um, if you're in a season where, you know, you have been trying to outsmart wisdom, reach out, get help. Um, That's a good time to point to to go and talk to um, a therapist. It's a time to go and talk to a pastor or to some couple friends that you trust, that you know that you both can be open and honest with and receive wisdom from. It's vitally important. Um, those are just four of the of the, the things that we've seen that are part of our understanding of how affairs happen. Cultivating content, loving without limits, embracing exceptionalism, and outsmarting wisdom. But at the end of it, one question that we get a lot is, what happens after an affair? Can we really recover from it? Is it possible? The good news is it is possible. Right. Yep. But the bad news is it's really, really hard. Really, I mean, hard. It, it, it took time, right, to get to this point of having an affair. And so it's going to take time to heal and to recover. And so and even though each situation is different, there's just a few things we're going to use to guide people uh, when we begin working through affair recovery. So the first thing is to set expectations. We talk about expectations a ton on this podcast, but <laughs> 
the recovery process is really, really hard, right? We have to pick up the broken pieces of our marriage. And usually we, when we start this process, we don't even know what all is broken. We're trying, it's so confusing. We're still in the, the denial, the shock phase. There's grief there, right? We're discerning and kind of owning that brokenness is difficult. And then agreeing that we want to reconcile and we want to move forward. That's right. Not only is the recovery process hard, the recovery process is long as well. In general, after an affair, most couples can expect for it to take up to around 18 months for things to feel normal again. Of course, there, you know, sometimes it can be shorter, sometimes it can be longer, but it takes a while through several seasons um, for the elephant not to be in the room every day. Um, it's possible, but it takes a while. Recovery is a long process. And then the other thing is that that recovery is not linear. It's not like we've decided to fix things. Tomorrow we're going to be a little bit better. The next day we're going to be a little bit better. The next day a little bit, be- a bit, a little bit better. Um, because we're discovering new areas of brokenness and adjusting in order to bring healing and wholeness there. It's an, it's a nonlinear process. Couples can expect to take four steps forward, six steps back, three steps forward, two steps back, and on and on and on. Hopefully, if both people are committed to the work and leaning in and doing what they can to rebuild trust, then hopefully over time we trend upward, even if it's not a linear move. We have to determine some important things from the very beginning of this process. We have to determine the meaning of the the affair. It's a hard thing to define. Uh, It's not, there's not necessarily a reason for it, but a meaning behind it. What circumstances made it possible? What needs weren't being met? One unwise decision, what unwise decision led to it? Um, And that's important to know that we're not shifting blame, right? It's not, it's not, I'm not blaming my partner for my infidelity, right? That's not what I'm doing. It's finding the meaning. What was going on inside of me? How do I create some meaning so that this is a collective meaning that we can hold together and we can move forward? Remember that Pluto analogy, right? I was off in my own world, but I was somewhere before I went there. And so understanding what was happening before I took that rocket ship out into outer space um, in my heart and what was happening in your heart and in our marriage, what's the meaning behind that? Yep. The second thing we have to determine is we have to determine safety. And I'm not just talking about physical safety. Hopefully that's not a core need, but it may be. But but this is emotional safety. And the reason for it is this. Trust has been broken when an affair happens, especially if it's been lied about or if there's been gaslighting that's occurred or if details have been hidden. Trust has just been leveled. And it's impossible to rebuild trust by direct effort. And it's impossible to rebuild it quickly. And so what we do is rebuild a sense of safety around our relationship and that safety acts as uh, scaffolding. And once we rebuild safety, whether it's um, through saying, hey, this is something that, you know, it would help me if I if you would unlock your phone or it would help me if you wouldn't be in contact with this person. Uh, Definitely not the affair partner, but maybe there were some friends that encouraged it. it would help me if you weren't, you know, taking advice from these people anymore. It'd help me if you didn't go to this place or if you didn't travel as much or or whatever it is in that in the in the immediate aftermath of an affair. Uh, what is it that creates a sense of safety? And if we can establish that and respect that, then in amongst all that scaffolding of safety, we can rebuild trust back um, uh, over the the duration of our recovery process. Yeah. And lastly, we get to determine over time what our new marriage is going to look like. Oftentimes this picture, this old picture of what our how we saw our marriage, it's been shattered by the infidelity, by the affair. And so what we do is 
through therapy, through reconciliation, through this work that we do, we actually pick up the pieces one by one and we kind of examine the aspects of our marriage that we want to continue on because there were probably good things, right? What are the good things that we want to be a part of our new marriage that we're going to put piece together in this new picture that we create together? And what are the pieces that we're going to pick up and say, no, that really was not good. We're going to leave that behind us. And so you really get to create a start not starting over, but a new picture with this, um, this painful thing that you've gone through together, um, near, near to your heart, right? Because it's shaped your relationship and this new marriage that you will be creating. Absolutely. And above all, what we want you to know is none of it's easy, but there is hope. And there is actually, you feel like after an affair, there is no map, but there is actually somewhat of a map that, that can be used to help couples put the pieces back together and begin to rebuild what's been lost. We hope that this has been informative and uh, we know it's a difficult and painful topic. So if you're married or you're getting married soon, we hope that something in here inspires the kind of mindset and boundaries that will protect your relationship from an affair. And if you're listening because your marriage has been impacted by an affair already, we hope you found a reason to push on toward healing and this deeper work of recovery. It is easier with a guide, so a marriage counselor to help you navigate this challenging journey is really, really beneficial. So reach out when you're ready to work through those issues. Awesome. To connect with us more, check us out at patwardcounseling.com or taryncooper.com. That's Taryn with a Y. Take care. <laughs>